back with another episode of the We The Brothers podcast. I hope you all are ready. We got another great conversation lined up. Let's do this thing. You are listening to We The Brothers podcast, hosted by Bearcats Media. All these crazy things happening in the world. So much going on. I don't even know where to start with all of this stuff going on. I think a place to start for me has to be the recent shootings that we have been experiencing in this country. And kind of talk about both and my thoughts on both. And these are legitimately just my thoughts based on the information that we have. So... I want you all to, you know, adjust yourself to the conversation that we're getting ready to have. I know there's a lot of emotions wrapped up in these uh, situations, and I want to give respect to those and uh, acknowledge those. So first of all, this is not normal um, to see people die in this way for us, Um, or at least it should not be. It should not be normal. It is normal to have emotions around this, to feel sad, to feel heartbroken, to feel confused, to feel anger. All of those things are natural. That is normal. It should not be normal to us that 10 human beings, 8 human beings, however you divide it up, lose their lives to senseless murder of someone who was having a bad day or someone who just had a mental lapse or went crazy due to a mental illness. Just so much, so many things wrapped up in both of these stories that are difficult to really just dig into. So let's start with the shooting in Atlanta recently, Atlanta, Georgia, where a man... Um, went into three separate spas um, and shot eight people between those three spas, is my understanding. Um, Most of which were Asian. I believe two were not. But most of the people shot were Asian, specifically Asian women. So a lot has come from this especially with the movement of stop asian hate there have been marches a lot of social media awareness going on um, news media talking about it just a lot of people talking about how the role that uh, white supremacy m- most likely based on how a lot of people feel about it in the current uh, political context and social context in which america exists that a hate crime is what we are reflecting on now 
where a white man took the opportunity in which he was having a bad day. I'm going to keep referencing that because it's just such a ridiculous term. Um, having a bad day took that those feelings and decided to then arm himself, buy ammunition, and then proceed to go to these places that which he had frequented um, uh, going to and patronizing and shoot them up and kill those who he saw. We still don't know if he was targeting targeting these specific women or um, if he just came in to do damage purely. Um, and apparently there's also evidence that he was planning to do this, to drive to Florida and do this again somewhere else. Um, that I can't confirm, but obviously disturbed. Obviously a disturbed person. Um, so, but the, the narrative that a lot of people have developed is that this is clearly a case of white supremacy and that this should be called a hate crime um, because he clearly had, in many people's eyes, a specific group that was targeted just based on sheer number, six uh, Asian people, specifically six Asian women. So there's also, is there a misogyny? Is there a hate crime against women here? Um, what what else could we deduce from that um other than that this was a white man who set to do damage to a specific community that made him feel shameful or had done things for him that then he felt bad about and so he decided to take it out on them what was going on in his mind and does it really matter um in the context that we're in as we think of more about racism anti-racism prejudice bias does it really matter um, what his reasoning is. There's this subconscious bias and, and how racism works that can lead to these type of things and that narratives like the Wuhan virus or the Chinese virus that can kind of create a environment in which actions like this seem logical to people who may be in an irrational and logical and illogical space. Um, to elaborate on that, people can take a phrase or an idea that is then permeated and allowed to be permissible in the culture and then al allow that to justify the lengths that they go to to commit violence or to commit hate crimes or to engage in prejudice acts because this narrative is out there, so it must be normal, that this must be okay to to do these things because you can rationalize murdering eight people if they are the reason for the virus, if they are the reason for such, whatever. Same thing with the Jews. You can justify the Holocaust if the Jews are the reason why Germany is in all these situations before World War II. Similar concept. It is also difficult in this uh, situation that we're talking about because we do have to use some caution um, and we can't be too hasty to call something a hate crime unless it actually is because there is a standard for that. There is 
laws. There are rules. There are th- uh, thresholds. There are, how do I say this? There are, uh, you could say, requirements for it for a crime to meet the level of a hate crime. And according to the police department, so far they do not have evidence or a motive that points to what they would prescribe a hate crime. And the reason they also want to be cautious and the reason we should be cautious um, is because that can affect um, a trial. So there have been many cases in which a uh, criminal or someone who's been um, charged with something has gotten off, not because they were innocent, but because the charge that the prosecution was going for was too lofty um, and they could not meet the standard requirements to achieve a guilty verdict for the jury. So we saw this in the Trayvon Martin case. There were a number of different, um, you could say, uh, situations and different charges that the prosecution could have tried to get George Zimmerman on. And if you don't know the Trayvon Martin case, basic understanding Trayvon Martin is walking home from the store after getting uh, some a drink and Skittles from uh, the store. And George Zimmerman, who had was a wannabe cop description, what he was described as, was basically doing his local neighborhood watch and sees Trayvon Martin with his hoodie on um, and says that these that he feels like Trayvon is suspicious, talks about that there have been some recent crimes in the area. All of this he's saying to a 911 operator as he's describing Trayvon and he's saying like this guy seems like he might be dangerous. The 911 operator tells George Zimmerman to stay in his car and they uh, will take care of it. George Zimmerman proceeds not to obey that, not order, but uh, request, decides to follow Trayvon anyway. Somewhere along the line, there have been many stories about what happens from here on out. And eyewitnesses have some stories, but none of them are completely clear on what exactly happened. But the basic idea is that Trayvon and George um, end up in a confrontation. They begin to wrestle um, and fight, and then Trayvon is shot um, by uh, George Zimmerman and dies fatally from the, that wound. George Zimmerman is arrested, and so we go into the trial, and the charges that he was given, the prosecution could have proved Um, But they didn't, and he was found not guilty. But the thing is that he still wasn't innocent. What he still did was ethically wrong and morally wrong. But the charges could not meet that threshold for the jury. And you've you've heard jurors talk about how difficult that was for them because they felt like what he had done was wrong, but they could not beyond unreasonable doubt say that he was guilty of these crimes. So this is why I bring coming back to this case 
of the shooting, it's difficult because you don't want someone who's committed a crime as heinous as this to get off because you can't, you've chosen a charge that you can't adequately prove beyond unreasonable doubt. And so that's why the police department is being cautious by saying that they don't have the evidence for that yet because they want to be sure they have the proper evidence to go for that so they can have the best case to get a guilty verdict. Now, um, that's why we also have to be cautious with how we talk about this because we can create a narrative and push for something that may not actually be what is required. There are a lot of people demanding that this be called a hate crime. Based on what? If, if it's purely based on that this is a white man who murdered Asian people, and this is the in the context of an increase in Asian hate crimes, there is a correlation, but correlation is not causation. Very fundamental idea. And I know... I don't say that to be patronizing. I say that to be, uh, to try to illuminate the complexity of the situation. There are a lot of emotions around this and people are fed up and there's been a more of a reckoning of racial uh, strife and, and oppression and all these things that have been experienced. I know that myself as an African-American male and kind of, what we went through this summer and what that was like for me. So I can absolutely empathize with what many Asian Americans are experiencing, what Americans in general who don't like to see this type of hate and bigotry perpetrated consistently are feeling. Again, the issue is that a crime like this occurring within the context of an increase in Asian hate crimes in the context of a country that has a history of white supremacy in the context of a country who is in the middle of one of its biggest periods of reckoning with uh, white supremacy in race and how it affects people's lives and the oppression behind it. All of those contexts are, are surrounding this particular case. And still, none of it means causation. None of it tells you that this, because of those things, is a hate crime. You have to look at the facts of the case and what is happening in it. So that's something that I would encourage all of you to do, to look at it and then look at the requirements and the standards for the state of Georgia for what they uh, quali what qualifies a hate crime and say and decide if that's what it is. You are not an investigator. You are not a police officer. You cannot just dictate that that is what it is based on a, a post that you saw on social media and all these things. Now, this is not to demean your feelings or your ideas. There are people who have done this for decades. And now it is questionable because we do have a history of police and, and protecting white assailants and, and, and uh, violators and criminals. But you do have to give them something, give them some semblance of trust because they are the criminal justice system. They are how you even get to a prosecution and get to the verdict that you want. So you have to offer them something and know that they have the experience to determine these things and how to get the verdict 
that we all are so desperately looking for. Next is that this is going to require patience. I've watched a few um, news channels and watched a few discussions and a lot of it has been talking about this is going to require patience, that this case is going to take time. The investigators are going to have to comb through a lot of evidence. They're combing through his social media. They're combing through his contacts, his texts, all those things to figure out a motive. This is going to be an essential piece of how they build their case against him and how they can get the verdict, especially if they try to go for a hate crime, if they can find evidence of that. So this is going to require patience from all of us. Um, and it's hopeful because we know that they are actually doing this, and that is due to the pressure. So this is the good part about the social media pressure. Even though it can be a little hasty in his judgment of what he should be charged with and what it should be uh, uh, defined as, but it is important that there be pressure from the society and from the community saying that something needs to be done about this and that this needs to be checked and that this violence cannot be tolerated. So that is where we are. This is going to require patience, caution, and support. Support for the Asian community and uh, making sure that they feel uh, support, care, love, and they feel heard. They feel seen. I think it's going to require a lot of just time and just consistent awareness of the issue. Don't let the don't let the issue die in a couple months or don't let it die in a couple weeks even. It's the issue with a lot of movements and a lot of steam that comes from social media. It can die, as quickly as it becomes a huge thing, it can die just as quickly. So that's not what I want to see. So keep the pressure on um, and let's see and be patient, keep supporting the Asian community, and let's get a verdict here. Because a verdict, a, a justice in this case, can lead to justice in other cases. So that's what we want to start. We want to start a precedent that leads to justice for all people. In this next shooting that happened in Boulder, Colorado, at a grocery store, um, in which 10 people were killed, including a police officer who was a first, the first responder to show up on the scene who was shot dead. Um, apparently, from my understanding, I may be wrong about this, so I will have to check and, and redact if I am wrong in the next episode, is that he was seemed to be a white male, but was also Muslim from what I saw. So... That's an interesting case. This is going to be an interesting discussion. And so this has sparked a discussion around gun laws, gun reform, what we should be doing in, in these situations, and how can we stop these from happening again. And this, again, is another complicated situation because I've, I don't understand what I... Okay, I do. People love to... Not love. How do I want to say this? People need to feel like there is an easy, obvious solution to massive, complicated issues. Such as gun violence in America. 
it is not as simple as background checks. Uh, it is not as simple as banning certain certain weapons. It's just not. There is there are so many layers to all of these things, to, to especially in the issue of gun control and gun violence in America. It requires a lot more mental and emotional energy to be invested to understand how we got here, what the issue is, and why these things keep happening. It is crazy to think. I saw a a tweet today that said that it's mind-blowing that in one of the richest countries in the world, that returning to normal and in states opening back up from a global pandemic means that mass shootings start again. Like that's our return to normal. That that is what we do. And then I saw an uh, not an opposing post, but a post that kind of clashed with that same post that said it is emotional manipulation. That any time a tragedy happens, that people then take on and use that tragedy as a way to support their agenda. And it's so difficult because there are people who have really experienced this, who have lost people, who have been in these situations, who are survivors, who are really using this and believe in this. And I think most people really believe and the ideas of what they think can fix the situation, such as stricter background checks, such as uh, banning all assault weapons, banning uh, specific weapons, uh, not allowing people with mental illnesses to get um, have access to guns, not allowing uh, criminals, uh, felons to have access. All of these things uh, have been brought up. And I think people are serious when they post about this, but there is this segment that is very loud of the population that does use tragedies for the purpose of getting what they want. I'm not saying that they don't necessarily care, but their concern is more about their agenda than it is about the people and the tragedy that occurred itself. And... You can see it sometimes when people just talk about what they want. And it only happens when there's a tragedy. And they just start pointing out things that should happen. Not even referencing the tragedy itself. Just saying what they think should be done. And so it's like, is that wrong? Because that's how all agendas work. You capitalize on moments in which your issue is is at the forefront. I feel like that's just good marketing. That's just good messaging that you take advantage of the situation to get what you think will help that situation done. But again, to reference the sentence that I just said, you're taking advantage of a tragedy. You're taking advantage of the situation for the benefit of your agenda. It may You may feel like it benefits others, but it, you are doing it for your reasons. So it's a may not be a conundrum for others, but it feels like a little ethical issue there in itself. 
So back to what has happened, um, this is a community uh, in the state of Colorado that has experienced <laughs> this multiple times, like had some major shootings that we, if you were born before, between 1998 and now, you've experienced the, or been introduced to the three mass shootings that have happened uh, in Colorado, or at least the four, I believe, that have happened in Colorado since you were born. Columbine, Aurora, and now Boulder, and I believe there was one more that I'm not aware of. Columbine, the high school shooting, we've all heard about it, one of the first major ones, and then in 1999, and then Aurora, I believe in 2011, at the at the movie theater, at the... Uh, showing of uh, the Batman movie. The guy comes in and shoots up the theater oh, almost 10 years ago now. And now Boulder, Colorado, shooting at a grocery store. I mean, it, it's just heartbreaking to watch. Um, I think we're going to have to do a lot of more reflecting. I don't think that the solutions, let me say this, the solutions that people are offering are actually going to adequately address the issues here. And the reason why I think it's more complicated than just banning assault weapons, because the idea is that, okay, you ban these assault weapons and they can't kill people as quickly because they have to reload, they have to do this, they have to do that. But mass shootings in which five people or more or even 10 people have died don't require assault weapons don't even require guns. Now, you may say, okay, let's put, compare apples to apples and oranges to oranges. Let's take knives and all that stuff out of it. Okay. Still, without assault weapons, mass shootings like this have occurred. It does not stop this from being a reality. It may stop unnecessary like drug crimes or uh, gun violence in general, but it will not stop mass shootings from occurring there there is it just the evidence i don't see the evidence that points to that if you have it please let me know i also don't know i don't like the idea of privacy breaches in terms of background checks i i overall support stricter background checks i think that you have to go through a background check to get almost anything else driver's license to get to buy a house to buy anything i feel like something that could take someone else's life or another sentient being's life you should have a, a, a significant background check for so that i'm okay with the issue with here is that people are now bringing up mental health and that people with mental health shouldn't have uh, weapons i I struggle with the ethical and moral question around that because I think that's a violation of rights, basic violation of the Second Amendment, but also a violation of people's basic human rights to have access to defend themselves. And who, what line are we drawing? Are we drawing it at clinical depression? Are we drawing it at seasonal depressive disorder? Are we drawing it at anxiety, acute anxiety disorder? What is it? Uh, so I think there's a lot of questions we have to ask, but I'm willing to have the conversation. I want to find a solution, and I don't want to. I don't want to keep hearing 
uh, thoughts and prayers. I want real action. I just think we need to be more thoughtful about what that action is and not so reactive. That's all I have for now. I'm almost out of time. But I want to hear your guys' thoughts. I hope you all are enjoying the podcast and engaging in your own reflection, engaging in your own conversations with the people that you know and see what up, what ideas you guys come up with. Thank you guys so much for listening. I am excited to keep talking to you guys. So let's keep doing this. Let's keep having good conversations. And let's keep being empathetic to each other. You have listened to another episode of We The Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, Julius Freeman. And I truly, truly thank you for listening. See y'all soon.